Mitchell and Alicia. Thank you, Ready? We're going to have a, some time in God's Word now. It won't be too long. So I know you've, you've had a long day already. We're going to look a little bit at uh, the church. Here your Bibles turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. What we'll do is we'll read verse 6 and then we'll read, we'll jump down to verse 20 to 22. Verse 6 says, And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now verse 20 says, And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Let's pray before we uh, look at this, uh, this passage. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for bringing us here this day, Lord, and we thank you for granting us these five years with your blessing, your grace, and your direction. We pray that this uh, message will give you the honour and the glory, for you deserve it all. And we pray that our hearts would be settled and your word would indeed be planted in our lives, in our hearts, so that we might live more fully by it. We thank you once again for this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Over 120 years ago, um, uh, a a, a structure was was, uh, built for an expo. And this structure, uh, the artist or the, uh, the, the designer who designed this structure took a lot of work to actually get it built. Um, as it happened, though, the people of that city where this expo was taking place in 1889 um, didn't like it. They thought this thing was atrocious and they demanded that it be torn down as soon as the expo was over. But the artist uh, spent a lot of time uh, trying to convince everyone to let it stay because he believed so strongly that the structure would actually be an icon for the city one day. And he, uh, he defended it. He had a lot of pride in it. And um, he knew in his heart that it would be destined for glory. It now stands as one of the architectural wonders of the world. And most of you already know what it is. It's the Eiffel Tower. Think they wanted to tear the whole thing down after an expo. Um, that was built in 1889. And what does that have to do with uh, the church? Well, it has a lot to do with the church, you see, because in the same way we look at the loyalty that Jesus has towards his church. Jesus defends his church, protects his church, and Jesus is the architect of the church. And he knows. Regardless of what the world may see the church church as, and the, and the world would love the church to be what? Built up or torn down? The world would love for the church to be torn down because they see the church as just a, a, a crux for, for people, as, as a problem, as a, um, as, a, as a place where you know, all types of nasty things happen. And they don't see really anything good coming out of it other than a dead institution more than anything else. But the Lord started building this church with an unlikely band of disciples. He started building this church with a bunch of fishermen and zealots and people who were really misfits in their society. They didn't fit all the upper class. They weren't highly educated. They weren't accepted uh, generally in society. They were seen as downcasts. They had problems. But Jesus decides to build this 
magnificent structure which he calls his bride to be. He builds it with uh, these disciples whom, he, as you remember in the, Gospels, the Gospel of John, he defended in prayer. He prayed for their protection. He prayed that they would stay united. And he prayed that they would spread the gospel as well to outsiders so they would be part of that building as well, part of that structure. Jesus is the architect of the church. And when we say the church, we generally mean the church universal. But this church forms part of that structure. God has has actually planted this specific church in this place. The Lord Jesus himself has built this church from scratch. Yeah, it started off with a group of 18 people. It wasn't 12 exactly. Um, I won't call us all misfits. Because I don't want to... I'm looking at you, Philip. It's all right. Because it'll do the the other people in the group uh, injustice. But we know the confidence that Jesus has in his church. The Bible says that um, the, hell, the, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And it's not because of our strength or our greatness or what we do. It's about who he is, what he has done and what he is continuing to do. And Faith Baptist Church is that story continued of what he started 2,000 years ago. And the church is an amazing idea when you think about it, about it, and also an enigma in a sense. Scripture teaches us once again that the gates of hell shall not prevail. But all around us, we see churches decaying, corrupting, and disappearing. We see Scripture every day being fulfilled before our very eyes. We see the love of many waxing cold, as the Bible says. We see the, many, the, many, the faith of many being very weak and anemic because they don't, they don't feed from the word of God. They're feeding from every modern day uh, program, but they've rejected the very thing that will give them the sustenance that, that they need to actually grow as a Christian. But we can still rejoice in the knowledge that regardless of what we see around us, Jesus is always faithful. And one of the the biggest praise points that I have for this church is that I have seen his faithfulness from the beginning till now. And I expect him to continue to be faithful to us into the future, if he tarries. As we look back on the, the last five years of fellowship together, it's wonderful to see growth. Growth is a good thing, isn't it? Nature teaches you that growth is good. If things don't grow, there's something wrong with them physically. But we've seen our numbers grow, which is okay, which is good to have extra numbers. But we've seen us grow spiritually as well. We've seen the things that we do at church grow as well. We've seen people put up their hand, as I said before, to take on new roles, new responsibilities. We've seen, for instance, salvation and baptisms in our church. It's always great to see people giving their heart to the Lord, isn't it? It's always great also to see people going down those waters over there because they put up their hand and said, I will. I'll let everyone else know what happened to me. It's a huge encouragement to us to have that many people baptised, more than 10 or 12 in uh, these few years. We've seen the ministries in that church grow as well. When When we started up over there, I think we had one child. There was one child. 
um, Alicia was the, on, the only one. I mean, I'll count Natalie as well, but she was a teenager, I think, already. Um, and today we have a young adults ministry. We have ladies and men's studies. We have afternoon Bible studies every month that Alan normally brings us, which is great. We have uh, trivia nights. We have had camps now, which we do regularly, which we didn't have any camps before. We had our first, this year, our first evangelistic outreach in our church with Glen Weeks. We've had a teens group now starting. We've had the prayer warriors starting up as well with the knitting needles. So there's a lot of things that have actually started up over the, over the past few years where there was nothing to begin with. We've also seen, as we've mentioned before, the music grow. Where we had one person who's primarily responsible for all the music, now it's grown and more and more people are taking on that role. Our Sunday school has flourished. Where for years, Alicia was the only child in Sunday school. And we prayed for growth in that area. Now we see sometimes that room back there can't hold them. There are so many. We have a number of men who are, who are able and willing to share God's word. Um, uh, as a personal praise, Miriam finished her Bible college in this last, uh, last year. Was it last year? And I've got three subjects to go. Our start at the Scout Hall in Brunswick, for those who can remember it, um, it's amazing when you look at the difference between there and here. I'm not talking about just the structure, but what goes into it. The chairs that are set up, the, the way things are, and, and, uh, and, and all the, the, the other things that, are, um, that we have that have been either given to us, that we, that we use every week, that we, that we um, uh, spend time preparing. The fact that our church has been recognised by other churches is also important to me. That we sit on two boards. Did you know that, we, that this church is represented on two boards of committees, which one for the Bible college and one for the, for the camp, which means we're recognised by other churches as well. And we've strengthened, as I said, our ties with, uh, with churches like Calvary. But we've also had difficult times over the last five years, haven't we? There have been challenges, and some of the challenges to growth come with, you know, growth comes with its own problems that you have to deal with. But we've also seen and, and been through things that have made us stronger as a result of us going through them. We've had members go through difficult illnesses. We've lost some people through death. Some people have come and then have gone um, from our fellowship, and sometimes you just don't know why. Sometimes you just can't grasp why. Um, but generally, I don't have that many negative things to put down, to be honest with you. Because it's been great the last five years. And there's a lot of funny things that, we've, that have happened to us. Which, once again, bring, gives us that, that element of, uh, of, uh, of yeah, spontaneity I think we have over here. I mean, uh, for those of you who were here when um, we had to meet in that, that, that room over there, in the teacher's room, that Sunday... And uh, the cleaner forgot to put the alarm off. And then pretty soon we had helicopters flying overhead, police knocking on the door, and uh, your pastor was only dragged away as a terrorist. That was funny. Mind you, we were totally, we were totally oblivious to the helicopters flying around and you know, people running outside the front of the, of the building. What are those guys doing running at the front over there? Yeah, it was good. 
And today we, uh, we look back and we, um, we remember Philip's uh, heater over there at the, old, uh, at the old hall. This sound system is always a, a source of interesting uh, thing, isn't it? It goes off just when you least expect it. <laughs> but we know how to fix it now. We just pull it out. For, for, from my point of view, and maybe you guys don't pick this up as much, but sometimes I miss out on doing certain things in the Lord's Supper. Um, we hold ourselves very well at the front over here, but sometimes, you know how everyone's meant to be served? Sometimes not everyone is served. Sometimes when, when they give me the bread and they give the person over there the bread and then the two fellows come and sit down over there, you know what they're waiting for? For me. To give them... <laughs> to, to, to actually, I've missed that a couple of times, I think. And poor Don's sits there saying, what do we do now? Sorry, Don. And then they help themselves quickly. Like I've said, I've only drowned my mum in baptism. And then Melanie and Jill, the first week they came over here, they parked their car in the church and they decide after church to go for a walk down the, um, down the block. So, as is my normal custom, I lock up the church and I close the front gate. Later on, we get this phone call. Where are you? Our church, is, our car's locked up in the church. We can't get in. So we had to organise that one over there. A few, a few interesting things have, uh, have happened. Um, anyone have any, anything else they can remember happening that was a bit funny over here? Because I think I've got most of them down. You've broken into the church? <laughs> what was that? You had to break. I oh, know we've had a few interesting situations happening with the, with the this alarm system and these doors and things. So it's been it's been good. It's been good. We can rejoice in the fellowship that we have, and regardless of, now we look at the growth and that's fantastic, and we look at the difficult times and you learn through those, and you look at the funny things that happen, and we can all have a good laugh about it and and, uh, and rejoice in that 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 bond that we have. Um, it's all because of this verse six. He hath raised us up together and he's made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I'm not sure what that means to you. But that means a, a huge amount to me. That he's actually raised us up together. It's not just me there, not just you there. We're not sitting separately, we're actually together. And he's banded us together here for a reason. And we may not see the bigger picture. We may not understand all the details. We don't have to. Because he's in control. The reason he's brought us together is that we need to be together. And it's nice to see that. For those of you who have called in the name of Jesus Christ, we've been raised up together and already sitting in God's presence, believe it or not. Sometimes we don't feel like we're sitting there. Sometimes we don't feel as if we're in his presence all the time. The Bible says it quite clearly clearly here. He has made us, that's past tense, sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is an awesome mystery and a privilege that we should never forget. That even though we may be sitting in these chairs, these plastic chairs over here, we are at the same time in God's presence. We are called the sons of the living God. And it's wonderful to be standing here today celebrating five years of God's faithfulness to this church to his children that he's brought in here.
He's been faithful to us. What he commenced five years ago has flourished, not because of what we've done. Never let it be said it's because of what we do or how we do it or whatever program it is. It's not because of what we've done. It's because of who he is and what he's done. What seems to be the foundation of our church as if it's been done in some sort of isolation, as if like there's our little church over here and, and, and that little church over there. It's not really isolation at all. It's actually a continuation of what God's done from the beginning. It's a continuing growth and building up of this thing he calls the church. What we, what's happening today is what started off at Pentecost 2,000 years ago in that upper room where the Holy Spirit came in, came upon them with, with the flames of, of fire and they spoke to everyone else boldly about God's word. We are the continuation of that. Truly, the foundation of the church was set down in the beginning, a long time before our church ever met. Look at verse 20. And are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. That puts us in good company, doesn't it? We're in good company. We are built upon them. They started the thing off and we are now joined together with them in this thing called the church. Now, I'm not sure I was speaking to you before, but there's a, there's a, there's a quite an interesting uh, um, saying that says, um, who you identify with or who you spend your time with says a lot about who you are. Is that true? People are certain to gravitate to those who are like them. Why? Because you're most comfortable with them. And in a way, we've we've gravitated, and I want to look look at the Bible from this perspective, we've gravitated as people to the people who wrote this book. We look at this thing as one book, and it is one book in God's eyes. But do you know that this book was written by over 40 different individuals, all with the same problems, challenges, and things that we go through? So when we read this book and we claim this book for ourselves and we say, this is what I want to learn, you know when you read the Psalms? And you, and you read about what the anguish that David went through and the trust that he had in the Lord, and then you say to yourself, I'm going to have that same trust as well. What you're saying is you're saying you want to keep good company with David. That David is someone you want to keep company with because David wrote those psalms. Our desire is to know the one that they knew, is to know him more fully. So what we're doing is we're saying... Let me find out a bit more what David thinks about this, what Paul thinks about this, what Peter thinks about this, what John thinks about this. Because you know something? They were with him. They experienced him. And they were, they were good enough to listen to what God was telling them and they wrote down their experiences for us so that we could understand as well. So we don't have to go through all the headaches they went through. So we can understand fully what God was teaching them. We've gravitated to the people who wrote this Bible. 
And what we do with them is we agree with the assessment that they have made about Jesus. When we read this Bible, we are saying, we agree with what your position is, and we're with you on it. We walk truly in the footsteps of great men, who in nearly all cases gave up everything they have, or had, for what they believed. That's good company, isn't it? Consider for a moment the Bible that you read and trust and have such confidence in. The Bible that you read was written by men who had the same struggles and trials as you and me. Think about that. And their story has a common theme. What's their common theme? Is that in the midst of all the headaches and all the, all the uncertainty... And all the things they didn't know and didn't understand, they could say with all confidence that he is trustworthy. That God is trustworthy. We can trust him. And that he has proven himself to them. From the very foundation of the earth to the final revelation to John. All those writers have discovered the same thing. They put their trust in God. And he didn't let them down. They risked loving him at the expense of all other loves. And that love was never betrayed. They experienced his power, his wisdom, his mercy and his grace. And they believed in his promises. And their words were not written without purpose, but for a real purpose in mind. Turn to John chapter 20, verse 30. John chapter 20 verse 30 says And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ the Son of God and that believing you might have life through his name John why did you write your gospel? He wrote his gospel so that we might believe in the one that he believed in we might have confidence in the, in the one that he had confidence in. That's why John wrote it. So that by believing in Jesus Christ, we might have life as he had life. And he had experienced that life. Every time we read and take in their words, we experience, in a sense, their experiences. We gain their understanding because of their witness. We keep company with them. We call them our associates, our company, because they, whom they served, we now serve. There's a Spanish saying that says, tell me what company you keep and I'll tell you what you are. We're in good company. If we hold up God's word and we say that this is what we believe and what we follow, then we are in good company. And I can't think of any other better better company than the apostles, the prophets and Jesus himself. Indeed, the company that you keep says a lot about who you are today. This is why Paul spoke strongly about this very thing. Listen to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11. You don't have to turn there. It says, But now I have written unto you not to keep company. 
If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or a railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such and one know not to eat. Don't eat with them. He mentions the same passage, he says, but not for those, not for those who are non-believers who are this way, because Paul says you'd have to leave the world completely. But he says, if someone calls himself a brother and he's a fornicator, covetous, idolater, railer, drunkard, extortioner, don't eat with them. Don't keep company with them. Why? Doesn't God want us to win them back? Yes, he does want us to win them back. But the problem is this, that someone who lives in that way openly does these things because he has forgotten the light. He's forgotten completely what he's, what he's learned and who he has called upon to save him. Or he may not have seen the light at all. You'll notice it says, if any man is called a brother, not every man who calls himself a brother is a brother. By keeping company of someone who is living hypocritically, you are in a sense taking part with him. To keep company with someone means that you desire to spend time with that person, to spend time together. It's not something done of necessity, but is sought by the will. Whose company do you seek? Who do you want to be with today? Is it godly people that you can look up to and learn from? Is it those who are at the same level or lower than you because you're most comfortable there? Seek time to spend it with people you can learn from and then grow in maturity so you can then help the ones who need, need the help. The greatest company we have first and foremost is the Lord. So he's the one we should be spending most of our time with. If you spend time with the right company, you will grow. If you spend time with the wrong company, you will decline. There's an Italian saying which says this. Now think about this when I tell you. Keep company with good men and you'll increase their number. Keep company with good men and you'll increase their number. What does that mean? Does that mean that by helping them, you'll help, you'll help them to grow in number? No, it means spend time long enough with good men and you'll become one of them. But it comes down to the motive. Now this is a worldly saying, but if the world knows the truth about that the company that you keep, how it affects you in your life, why does the church often fail in this principle? This is true of the local church as well. Is it your desire to spend time with and fellowship with and worship with the people whose heart is seeking after God? The strength, I believe, of a local church is determined by the desire to get together 
It doesn't finish there. Not just to get together. Because footy, footy fanatics want to get together. But the strength of a local church is determined by the desire to get together not because of, um, we simply like each other, but because we have the same desire to worship and follow the one who has called us together. He is our common interest. He is our common focus. He is our common object of our desire and our devotion. That's why we want to get together. Because we have a common interest, a common love. And this is the other beautiful picture of the church. That the Lord is building us up together into a house of God. Look at verse 21 and 22. In whom, also, in, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also buildeth together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Do you see the word fitly there? There's a word, there's a word that says fitly. It means that when God chooses individuals to put in local churches, he chooses them to do what? Not fit together or to fit together. He chooses them to fit properly together, to actually, <coughs> actually complement each other, to build on the, on the strengths that are already there and to reinforce the weaknesses. This is why it's true of the local church. You may wonder how on earth you fit together with some other people in the church. But that's just it. It's not just the church. It's not just the earth that we're fitting for here, is it? It's for eternity that we're fitting for. God has seen us for who we actually are. We don't see ourselves for who we are. And often we fail to see other people around us for who they are. We often judge other people Unjustly, And we often don't have a proper perspective of ourselves. But whom God has joined together, you know the rest of the part, let no man put us under. But that's got nothing to do with this. But the principles are similar. God has actually brought us together so we fit together. We need each other. And this is what I, I'm, I'm confident about our church. The master builder has chosen the right pieces to fit together and we are those pieces. And the building grows. It's growing today and it will continue to grow until the Lord returns. Faith has been growing for the last five years, praise God, but he has to stop building. The building isn't over. All the things haven't... The structure isn't complete yet. God is continuing to bring in new and newer materials for us to include. And what do we look for today? We look forward to the day when the whole house is finished and everything will be complete and the Lord will bring us to himself. For those of you who know the, the ongoing saga of our, of our land, waiting for a year and a half, right, to, just for the land to be released, we've been, we've been in a waiting game. And now we're seeing... Things starting to, starting to move and we're looking forward to the day when they just lay a foundation down. That'll be a good day. And I'm sure we're going to be involved and in, in watching every step of the, of the construction. Anyone built a house here before? Were you interested at all about how the house went up? Did you take any interest? Did anyone take any photos of how it changed as time went on? 
I'll take, we will. We'll be taking photos. And we'll be taking photos not just to, as a, as a, to remember how the house went up. We'll be taking photos to make sure that they're building it according to specifications. Because if, if I see the wall starting to do this as it's going up, I'm going to be talking to them about that doesn't fit the specs. As the various parts come together, the house forms, the house uh, becomes whole. And the, the thing works together to form a final structure. We'll take, we'll take an interest in how the church is being built. Uh, sorry, how the house is being built. But you know something? Does the Lord, do you think, take an interest in how the church is being built? If, if I, who am building an, an earthly house, take an interest in how that house is built, how much of an interest does the Lord himself take in the church that he's building for himself? And he's building an eternal habitation, not just an earthly one that will be there and then in a few years it will be gone. How much interest does he take in us as his people and how we work together? All his love and care has gone into this house and he is the owner-builder. He'll make sure it comes together and he has the resources to do it. This is what our little church is a part of. And it should excite us. It should make us excited about what we are a part of. Let me close up with this thought. Celebrating an anniversary is as much like looking back to look forward. You look back just to remember But that remembering should actually motivate you to continue to move forward. If you look back and it makes you want to get stuck in the mud and it makes you want to stop what you're doing, there's something wrong, isn't there? So celebrating an anniversary is a bit like looking back and getting, taking a breath, having a bit of a view to see what God's actually done so far and then get ready to move on, to continue what what God is doing. We can learn a lot from the past. But its most important function is to remind us that we have a future. And that future is bright. That's what a local church should be all about. Our purpose was not to be found, is not to be found in where we've been. Our purpose is in who God is, who God says we are, and where God says we are going. Turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. We'll close up with this, uh, this one last verse. Philippians 3.13 Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in God, of God in Christ Jesus. When Paul is saying that he's going to forget those things which are behind, he doesn't mean just to forget your past. You can't forget your past. It's not possible for us to forget what's gone on in the past. You know what he's saying? Forget those things which you've put behind you. There are certain things we've put behind us. And Paul, he was a Pharisee. 
He was a respected member of his community. You know what he did? He put those things behind him. And he focused on Christ. There are certain things as, as Christians that you put behind you. And you say, I'm no longer involved in that. I'm not anymore seen in that way. I will now put those things behind me. I'm going to forget about those things. I'm going to move forward to where Christ, Christ wants me to be. This is what he's talking about. Pushing onwards and upwards to God's holy calling of purity, faithfulness, love and hope. You and I are important. If you're a member of this church or if you're a member of any church, you and I are important to the functioning of your church. You are vital to your church's life and growth. And every person should be, who is saved should be an active member of their church. There are no inactive members of churches. No such thing in the Bible. Everyone is active. Everyone has a responsibility. Everyone's been given gifts. And everyone should be serving in their local church. Why? Because God is not a haphazard builder. God doesn't use fill in his church. Everything, every piece that God uses in his church is there for a reason. The church is the first fruit of the kingdom of God, the representation of God's presence in the world today. Its purpose is both to remember and to proclaim God's faithfulness, kindness, mercy and saving grace for anyone who wants to hear. Always remember with, from where the Lord has led you. Remember where you've been in the past. Remember from where you came. Remind yourself, though, of your current position, your position in heaven, in whose company you are, into what you have joined yourself and to what we are all becoming. And the future, the bright future that the Lord Jesus Christ has for all of us. God bless you and thank you. It's been a pleasure. God bless you.